0: Hello and welcome to another episode of State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Repay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, we only had one episode last week, but we've hit a lucky number 13. And by 13, I mean that we have been on Podomatic's Top 75 Sports Podcast Rankings for 13 straight weeks now. 13, Chris. Can you believe this?
1: This, this is amazing. I, I I I was actually certain that we were not going to make it this week because of the uh, terrible technical errors. But hey, we did it. Thank you to everyone out there. Appreciate it.
0: Pretty sure I was texting you after we put up that Thursday episode. And we joked about it last time how we might not make it. But I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to make it, Chris. I don't think we're going to make it.
1: No. We, we made it through the wilderness, my friend. We did it.
0: Friday, I got that email from Podomatic. that gave me the weekly report. And I was like, oh, I don't want to open this. Opened it, and we were still on Top 75. So, still limping, but this time around, we'll get both episodes this week.
1: Let's see if we can push Top 50. Oh, definitely. Let's see if we can do it, with it. Let's go for that this week. Let's try it.
0: So, big weekend for Villanova. Lots of action and news since we were last on the air on Thursday. But first, Chris... Did the Packers win on Sunday?
1: Did the Packers win on Sunday? Of course the Packers won on Sunday. And it was probably the most thrilling game I have watched in a while. It was about time the NFL had a good game, a good playoff game, and we did the world a favor, knocking out America's team, Dallas Cowboys, in a thriller my heart was racing the entire game, and it was just finally nice to end up on the good side of one of those games where, as I mentioned last week, the Packers are always on the losing side of a last-second win, and it is just nice to finally win a game in the last second. Man, I, I, I am so stoked. I got four hours of sleep the night after, and I was, it was literally like I slept the whole entire day because I was just so jacked up on the win.
0: That's fantastic. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for my Giants. You are currently still on the yacht, probably by Turks and Caicos now. I don't even know. But, hey, at least your Packers are still rolling. Oh, thank you. Uh,
1: Make some room for Dez on the boat. I'm I'm sure
0: he'll like to join. We don't take Cowboys on that boat. Oh, oh, Are you you sure? Well, we are sure. We are sure. It was also a big victorious weekend for all Villanova sports in action this past weekend. You had men's and women's basketball, even swimming, too. They got a W against Providence in a Mm head-to-head meet. Basically, everyone, looks like everyone got away with some W's this weekend.
1: Let the good times keep rolling. Keep
0: keep it going. It's a
1: a great start to the new year.
0: So before going into any of all that, let's take it back a little bit. Let's look at some off-the-court news. Let's direct our attention to the football field for a little bit. I know football's been over. We know that Andy Talley is not going to be coming back. He's retiring. But there will also be another coach on that coaching staff that will not be returning to 800 East Lancaster Ave, and that's defensive coordinator Billy Crocker. Crocker is a 2002 Nova grad. He's been at Nova for the last 12 years, spending the last five years as the team's defensive coordinator and recruiter in Jersey and local areas around Nova, and also Connecticut, his home state. Chris, what are your thoughts on Crocker leaving, and how will that impact Villanova?
1: You got to think this hurts him. I guess it's a good thing in the sense that you know the guy who's coming in now for tally completely replaced the whole entire staff. So now he can get bring in one of his guys for DC. But Crocker led several great defenses. I mean, all year we talked about how great this defense was, and he's produced some All Americans to boot. Don Cherry had, who was a senior with us, Austin Calitro. Uh, defensive back Rob Roll, and this year Tano Kapasinan. He's a great defensive coordinator who's led some very big stalwart defenses i mean our entire four years there he was dova had a good defense every year it was always defense first for the most part and then once you had robertson come in on the offensive end everything kind of clicked together because the, that defense if you had stuck that with any type of good offense that te- Villanova could have probably won multiple national championships but it's good to see that he's going to the upper big boy d1 level you kind of wish it wasn't at uconn because they're kind of a doormat but you know, it's a good stepping stone for him and I hope I wish him the best because if he can turn UConn's defense around, then maybe he can get even a bigger job and then one thing leads to another.
0: Yeah, not only is it UConn who's definitely not really a football school, they're definitely a basketball school. It also kind of hurts because they're also an old Big E school. So you just got that double-edged sword right there.
1: Yeah, we did play them, what was it? Was it senior year we played them?
0: Yes, yeah, 2015. Yeah,
1: right. It was in the rain, I think. Should, we probably should have won that, too, on top of the Syracuse game from a few years ago. But anyway, yeah, it's it's things it a little bit, but hey, now you get a whole new staff, so we'll see what we can do from scratch here.
0: Yeah, when Crocker first took over the defensive coordinator post at Nova, Nova was, they were okay at defense. I mean, they were around middle of the pack, maybe slightly above average. But then each year they got a lot better and really saw it pay off in the, over the last couple of years, really. And you had Nova becoming a middle-of-the-pack defense into one of the best in FCS. And probably yeah. you saw how they could rumble with the FBS teams. UConn yeah. definitely took note of that. UConn was not moving the ball well, unfortunately. The offense hasn't been on par with the defense over the last couple of years. Right. So, you know, back then we had John Robertson, the Walter Payton Award winner, carrying Villanova to victory, getting them some Ws, clutch drives, coming down the stretch, bailing out the defense. This time around, it was the defense who was carrying the team. And it was a very different look. on leaving. You got Tally leaving. Now you have Crocker leaving. It's really going to be interesting to see how Villanova does moving forward on defense, especially they've had a pretty good front seven over the last couple of years. Ideally, Mark Ferranti would not want that to change, hopefully maintain Mm -hmm. it, but definitely will be interesting to see who they bring in to replace him.
1: Yeah, we should, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. I'm actually kind of interested to see if they don't bring anyone from the FBS level and bring them down maybe, like maybe like a linebackers coach convert them into a DC at the, at a lower level, or maybe they bring in one of their own guys. It'll, it'll be an interesting call. I'd like to see where they go with this.
0: Yeah, and certainly we'll also be keeping an, an eye out for Crocker and over the next couple of years. This is definitely a big break for him. FCS, <laughs> while it's great to coach at Villanova, your alma mater, you got to certainly be looking to go big time. And this is probably the first step for him.
1: So I guess we're going to go on the basketball next. But, but first, before we dive into the games, did you see uh, we actually ended up getting a, a local boy from, uh, I forget where, Colin Gillespie is his name, though. Did you see that for basketball?
0: Yeah, I saw that. My good friends over at City of Basketball Love, my old boss, Josh Verlin, broke the story. He got an interview with Gillespie, and he's from Archbishop Wood right there in PA. Local guy. What do you think about the pickup?
1: I mean, it's it's nice to get another recruit. For sure, but. I mean, you, you look at his, his stats, and I know stats are not everything, like recruiting stats, not actually in-game stats. I mean, just ask Darren Hilliard. He wasn't highly touted coming out of high school, so he's like the poster child for that. So maybe that's what Jay's trying to go here with this. But three stars on 24-7 sports, two stars on ESPN. It's nice that you have a local guy, but I don't ex- don't expect him to come in and light the world on fire. I think he'll be maybe he'll become back end of the bench, putting up a few, like 10 to 15 minutes. come his like junior senior year but I I don't think he's going to be starting anytime soon he'll probably redshirt for the first year at least and I mean if you're a freshman now you listen to this podcast he might not even be playing by the time you graduate
0: he definitely was a a 20 point or average around 20 points per game in high school right now and while he has improved especially over his senior year you can't really imagine him you know they're going to definitely bring in some big boy talents some four or five-star guards over the next few years. And it's got to make you wonder what his role will be exactly. makes you think, is he just a, a nod to being the local pickup or the local recruit? Because Jay Wright loves to have some local players. You know, you always see Pennsylvania, especially around the Philadelphia area, or even the surrounding suburbs or nearby towns. You always see a local guy on the Villanova roster. So is he just another one of those? We'll see. It's definitely exciting for him, and it's great for him because he last year he was only getting looked at by d Two schools and it's definitely a dream come true when the national championship school comes knocking on your door and gives you an offer but at the same time i wonder what exactly jay wright's planning to do with him because he's not exactly top tier talent but he could definitely develop into one you never know, be diving right. in the rough. But in yeah. the meantime, we'll also keep an eye on this too.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him for sure. But I did read the City of Basketball Love piece, and it seems like he he's made some big improvements, as you mentioned. You know, just getting looked at D two on the D two level now. He's going to the national champions <laughs> at a D one level. So I mean, good for him. It shows that he worked hard for it. But like you said, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him.
0: Yeah, this could be another Darren Hilliard. For all we know, I mean, Darren Hilliard. I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their head or doubting the two-star label. But now he comes in, he could be maybe just as good or even a valuable contributor, and that's all you can ask for in Jay Wright's team ball-oriented system.
1: But I, I also want to mention that we—I did do some snooping on Twitter, and it seemed like a lot of people were hyping this kid up a little bit more than I think they should have been. And I'm just like, come on, don't don't back a little. Don't like, don't don't put the kid, don't give him unrealistic expectations. Like, just let, let him do his thing in high school, and then let him come in and develop the way they want to develop him. I know, like, you can you look at the stats and you put on 20 points a game in high school, but you can't expect that come like to do that as a freshman next year.
0: We all know Jay loves his guards, so you gotta pick him up. You gotta right. pick him up.
1: Gotta get him true
0: onwards and forwards to Villanova's victorious weekend I mean we'll start off the men's and women's team both reaped some W's but we're gonna start it off with the men's team because man did you expect this but I was looking at the polls yesterday and somehow someway the men's team are back at number one on the A people.
1: I would say I'm a little I am surprised by this I was I resided to the fact that they were going to be number two come Monday. And then I got a text from my brother saying Noah's back at number one. I'm like, what the heck could have happened <laughs> for them to be number one? And then I got you texting me saying, oh, they really aren't number one because they didn't receive number all the, like uh, they They received less number one votes than Kansas. But then I was like, wait, it's kind of on a point system. So I guess they must have finished higher than them and some – other pollsters, polls. So, I mean, cool to be a number one, but we don't have the most number one votes according to the AP. So, I don't don't know. I kind of feel like it's a little odd. But, hey, it is what it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I was expecting them to leapfrog Kansas at all. And I don't think anyone in the history – I would love to know when the last time in the AP poll history did a team take the number one spot without having the most first-place votes?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We should get a live Sports Bureau on that one. And also, Baylor only holding on to the number one spot basically for only 24 hours because they lost the, the same day they got bumped up, which was absolutely hilarious, to be honest with
0: you. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I was just kind of expecting, oh, you know, Villanova will slide up to number two, and Kansas will take the top spot. But nope, I guess everyone loves Villanova. I guess it's a good time to get on the bandwagon if you're not already on it. Yeah, about time. Please, yeah, on. We, have, we have plenty of room. It's pretty weird yeah. being in this position, not going to lie. Your new number one ranked, or again, number one ranked Wildcats, they took care of business this past weekend. They beat St. John's at a packed Madison Square Garden. They won 70-57. to 57. Wasn't a pretty game by any means. Man, you had Josh Hart, Jenkins, Brunson. Sure, they combined for 29 points, but they also combined for 9 of 29 shooting, which is super super inefficient, not, not a good look, not a good look at all. Especially you had Jenkins who didn't make his first basket. He was one for 10 makes his first three with just less than a few minutes to go in the second half.
1: Yeah, it was weird. Cause we literally no more than what? 24 hours before the game were saying, yeah, he's, he's turned it around. He's right back in and all it took was two big East games and he's, he's back to his normal self. And then he lays a dud at the garden and it's just like, Come on, like, which, which will the real Chris Jenkins please stand up? And then you had Josh, you know, kind of bumbling around the entire game, not looking like his normal self. And I mean, Jalen he didn't play great, but he didn't play terrible. I mean, you expect that from Brunson to, you know, kind of put up the stat line he did, not, not the stat line Josh and Jenkins did. So it was. Just a very, very odd game all around. And then you see Dante come out of nowhere with a career-high 19 on 7-10 shooting. And it's just like, okay. I mean, that's encouraging, though, because this shows that if your top guys are off, that you can get your bench guys, even though there's only really two of them, can come in and win you a game on the road. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely Villanova has a short bench. They don't have the luxury of their depth that they had last year, which was a big reason why they won or went really far last year, was because of how deep they were. This time around they're rocking two guys off the bench, and they gotta be really thankful. Dante had a career day. Great game by Devin Chanzo. Yeah. Nineteen points, seven to ten. Very efficient. I know we've been kinda we've kind of given some, some flack on this yeah. podcast, but he's been really stepping it up lately. I've been really liking how he's been playing over the last few weeks and to top it off with a 19 point performance do it at the garden in front of a packed crowd your team's down or they they need a they need a little boost and a little pick me up he comes off the bench acts as a spark plug and carries them to victory
1: yeah it was surprisingly packed there right i mean you were there i couldn't really tell on tv i mean you could tell it was they had a good crowd it was a sellout right i'm pretty sure it was
0: yeah over eighteen thousand people i don't even know when it happened i just remember i looked up and i was just kind of looking around the garden at a timeout and i was just thinking when did it get full from top to bottom deck like what did this happen
1: oh really don't they do they usually tarp off the top or do they they kind of let that go
0: i mean i know they did
1: i obviously did for this game they let it go but don't they usually i don't know that that's funny though good Good for them. I mean, they're drawing a crowd now, so they're getting some noise.
0: Yeah, and it was pretty split, I would say, even 50-50 between Villanova fans and St. John's fans. I mean, obviously, St. John's is the hometown team, but Villanova's got the biggest alumni base in that New York metro area, so you can't mess with that either.
1: Yeah. I guess that's that's kind of the downfall plan at the garden. I mean, you know you're going to a lot of the away crowd coming in. I mean, but this is not the type of game you're going to play at Carnesecca Arena, so.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, if this was a, played at Carnesecca Arena, this whole thing would have sold out in maybe like 2 minutes.
1: What do you think of the start? Cuz I mean, I alluded to it at the last podcast that, you know, St. John's always Kind of plays us a little bit tough in the beginning and then we kind of pull away. And I that's basically what this game was here.
0: The start was definitely not that good. Everyone knew it after the game. Jay Wright didn't mess around to say we, we didn't play that well. He flat out said we were bad. And Josh Hart at the post-game press conference, he looked dejected the whole time. I think even he knew it that he needed to step it up. He needed to turn around and play like a senior captain. He said it himself, We gotta be the example here. We're seniors. And we can't let this happen. You know, it's good for Dante and Eric Pascal to play how they did coming off the bench. But they got to get it going first. And it's good to see him accept some responsibility and for those guys to be accountable. But that start was ugly. And Jay Wright was just basically saying, we can't start like this all the time because eventually it'll catch up to us. It almost did here. But you got to think, if this was a different team, like a, an Xavier, or Creighton, or a Butler, that, that's not happening. We saw it happen with Butler.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the slow starts have always killed us in the past. It's just that we've been able to make up for it because we're such a second half dominant team. It's ridiculous. And it's usually against lesser competition, to be honest with you. In the tournament, we didn't get off to a slow start at all we kind of we hung around the entire time it's just that during the regular season we just come out flat in the first half and then we blow them away because we're just i guess just talent wins at that point so it it was just an interesting thing and to expand upon your senior captain point that josh made we mentioned jenkins didn't play great josh didn't play great but daryl reynolds man he got wrecked inside and we mentioned it the entire literally every every sentence we could we mentioned that saint john's can block the ball they can get up with you and make sure you do not hit the rim or even come close to the rim. And their two big rim protectors absolutely destroyed him. And there was that one block they had on Daryl that he went up really soft. And I think it was Yaquai just destroyed him. I'm just, I put my head in my hands and I'm just like, oh, Daryl, I feel so bad for you right now. He doesn't deserve that, but he even played terrible too.
0: Yeah, the worst one was that moment. you You talked about it when he got a great look. I forgot if it was Brunson who dished it out to him or DiVincenzo. Got it to him inside after jarring a double team. No one is around him by eight feet. Instead of putting it up right away, he does a double pump fake. I'm pretty sure everyone in blue at the Garden was screaming, shoot it. (laughs) And (laughs) by the time he eventually went up with it, Yaakwe closes in and just rejects him. And it was just – I felt like that summed up the first half. I felt like that was it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, really. It was it was just oh it was just bad to see. And then even expanding upon this further, they had the inside the huddle with Jay on uh Fox Sports One and he I think he was talking to Jenkins. He's like, You're not here to help on the offensive end today. You're here to help on the defense. And I think he had like a terrible defensive Laps, I forget what it was, but he was getting on them, and you could tell Jay was frustrated. And as you mentioned in the post game, he said that they didn't play well, and he knew it. And he was getting on the seniors for it because this this is not the type of effort that you should see your seniors put forth. in the Big East at
0: the same time, credit to St. John's, they forced twenty Villanova turnovers, which never happens. You, that's just something that's so uncharacteristic of the Wildcats. So right. some of it was St. John's is doing. Can't take it completely away from them, but at the other hand, Villanova's very sloppy that game. Very sloppy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. Very uncharacteristic for sure.
0: But honestly, the win was pretty much expected regardless of how it, they got there. They got it. They got the W. One thing that was very interesting to me was during that post-game conference, Chris Mullen, Jay Wright, they were talking about the current state of the Big East. They were asking about what they thought about it. Well, before we go into that, I just want to ask you, we were sophomores, and so we were going into our sophomore year when this happened, when it was announced that the Big East was breaking up and there was going to be this new conference with the Catholic Seven. They weren't sure what that name was going to be. Ended up being the Big East. They ended up hanging on to it. But what were your thoughts on the breakup of the quote unquote old Big East?
1: I was, I was disappointed by it, but I didn't think it was like the end of the world. Like some people were making it out to be like ESPN said, like the Big East will never like they came out with the 30 for 30, the Requiem for the Big East. Well, it was a great, great documentary. They were basically saying the Big East will never live again. And I'm just like, all right, I, I kind of felt like these schools will pull it together and figure it out. Now. That being said, if it was the Catholic seven, I didn't have that much faith. But then you bring in Xavier and Creighton and Butler and you start to think that all right, maybe they can do something with it, because those are three big programs. And you had rumblings that St. Louis was gonna come along and even Dayton, that would have been huge. I would still like Dayton to be honest with you. But that's neither here nor there. But I, I didn't really I I was upset, but I was not in panic mode like some people were.
0: I wouldn't say I was in panic mode, but I was definitely very disappointed. You come in, and we all know the, the history of the Big East. It's just so enriched with tradition and history and historic battles. I mean, we can all talk about our favorite Big East games, especially the, what was a quadruple overtime game in the Big East tournament. And you just think of all these classics, and... The Syracuse, the Georgetown's, the Louisville's. That first year was just rough. You had Villanova was blowing out the water, which was definitely exciting for Villanova fans and us. But at the same time, you had Georgetown fall apart, or they weren't playing up to par. And all these other schools, you know, everyone was really doubting the legitimacy of the Big East. And I was pretty much doubting the legitimacy of the Biggies. I mean, it's great to run the table, but at the same time, it just didn't have that excitement, didn't have that aura of it that was so cool or mystifying as the old Biggies. You know, you always compare old versus new, old versus new, but I think we're starting to see catch up big time.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's it's starting to get into the forefront of college basketball and even even as of Last tournament, me and you had the discussion after Xavier lost to Wisconsin that the Big East is soft sometimes, especially in postseason play. But then, you know, Villanova wins the championship, and then you see now we're, we got four teams in the top 20, uh, top 10 in RPI. So, like you said, it, it's gonna, it's getting there. I think it's better than the SEC for
0: sure. <laughs> after the game, well, let's take a listen to what Chris Mullen had to say. I love the Big East right now. Um, uh, no disrespect to football, but it kind of ruined the original Big East, and now it's back to its rightful place as a basketball conference, and I think it's a tremendous conference. Um, with, like I, I mentioned before, built-in rivalries, uh, home-and-home series, and I think organically it will grow. And uh, I think I think the way it's set now is, is is perfect. What are your thoughts on Mullen's statement? Uh, this is a guy who Big East blood grew up. Played for Carne played at St. John's in the '80s. That's what many consider the height of the Big East to be. What do you think about Mullen's statement?
1: Yeah, this is coming straight from the uh, the OG Big East uh, crew. Uh, yeah, he's. I, I agree with him. The football destroyed the Big East. I mean, you saw the writing on the wall. BC and Miami left back in 05. and and then later on, you had the rumblings of Louisville leaving, and then Syracuse absolutely killed it because they wanted to join the acc football and it was just like come on guys really but now i love how it's just strictly basketball because that's how it was that's how it was supposed to be it's always how it was meant to be and i think we found some good replacements for the syracuses and the louisvilles of the old biggies with Xavier, Butler, and Creighton, and the home and home series is perfect because you see, you're guaranteed to see each team twice. You didn't get that in the old Big East. You would get, maybe you would end up playing Rutgers twice instead of playing Georgetown twice. And so it was, it's, it's nice to actually, you know, get an established foe and we've already formed rivalries with the three new schools. So I enjoy it. So, I I really do think it, it is actually set up pretty
0: well. We talked about it. The record for the Big East documentary talked about it. Or maybe they didn't talk about it that much because of who was involved in the making of that documentary. Uh-huh. But football was definitely a big killer. At the end of the day, it was greed that killed the Big East. Everyone wanted their payday. Everyone wanted to make millions. Syracuse and them, they weren't cashing out in the Big East. So why why stay here when you can leave for greener pastures in the ACC? And while it's very unfortunate, I think, like you said, you brought up a great point. We are starting to already create rivalries with the new guys on the block. They've only been here for three years, and we already have classics with each of them. Yeah, I mean,
1: I've I've hated Creighton more than I've hated DePaul and St. John's <laughs> the entire time.
0: So, <laughs> do you think man, DePaul has me. a rival? Do you think DePaul has a as a blood rival yet?
1: Hey, them and St. John's—they're forming something. You can tell that that toilet bowl series is getting real, real intense lately.
0: Yeah, but we all know St. John's wants to know part of it. St. John's actually wants to improve.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I know. Side note, but I watched that toilet bowl, the DePaul St. John's game the other night, and I just felt so bad for DePaul, like because they—they really do try. <laughs> they try so hard. And it's just like watching like your child just do everything he can to be good, but you just know he just doesn't have
0: the physical capabilities of it, and you just feel terrible. We'll get the good job, good effort, kid, on that. We'll get him yeah. to come every game.
1: Yeah, I'm back on, back on track here. Sorry, <laughs> I had to bring that up.
0: And then they asked Jay about his thoughts on the Big East. Let's take a listen to what Jay Wright had to say about this.
1: I, I think all of us um... – have have been lifted by each year, you know, getting five teams in the NCAA tournament, six teams in the NCAA tournament, um, and then we were saying, "If you know, somebody just got to break through, we didn't know who it was going to be. We knew someone would break through. Happened to be us, you know. And then you come back and you see this season, you see what everybody does, and not the conference You see a game like this today, man. You know, eighteen thousand people at the Garden. Chris Mullen coaching St. John's. It was. Uh, I mean, it's 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 as pure as it gets with. With college basketball in the Big East, and uh, I think all of us, you know, we root for each other. The coaches don't in the NCAA tournament. We text with each other. We, we all just like back in the in the old days. You know, we all feel like it's it's us against the football world. You know, we gotta we, we, we gotta make it happen. And, um, and and I think we all inspire each other. And every time we have successes out of this conference
0: and in the NCAA tournament. I think we're seeing that there is something that can be like it again. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say that it's there now, but mm-hmm. the Big East has definitely been trending upwards since the whole conference realignment scene. You look at it right now, the Big East teams since 2013, since 2014, they're currently a combined 37 and seven against former Big East teams to wow. left when the conference realigned. 37 and seven.
1: That, that's absurd. Absurd that's crazy not- and
0: and it's and it's not
1: like we're beating and not like these squads are beating up on like South Florida and rockers, like we're playing the Syracuses and the Louisvilles and all that stuff,
0: so yeah exactly it, Yeah, this, you got yeah, exactly. you get your South Floridas, but you also get your Louisvilles and your Yukons and your uh syracuses
1: all right, Yukon I forgot about them too <laughs> it's that's just nice to see and it should be thirty eight and six if Villanova was able to hold a twenty-point lead against Syracuse in the in, in, in Syracuse a few years ago, but hey, that that's we'll, we'll forget about that.
0: I mean, we can also change the record around a little bit if we said that Villanova was supposed to win against Shabazz Napier and Co. But oh. at at the same time, we can also say if DePaul just never lost to, I think they played Rutgers recently. They just never lost to Rutgers. Then. Oh. <laughs>
1: The poll, god, god dang it. <laughs> the
0: poll. But I think, I think we're starting to see something beautiful with the Big East. You look at the teams that we've been sending to the tournament over the last three years. In the three previous tournaments, we've seen a combined 15 tournament appearances. You had four in the first year of the new Big East, then you had six two years ago, and last year you had five. So that's, that's a legit, I mean, we're, we're almost sending half our teams to, to the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And I'm pretty sure last Bracketology, Joe Linardi had six Big East teams. And I think Marquette was like in one of the playing games, but that, that's crazy. And it's, and it's like every year, you know, you know we're, we're sending, you know, the same amount of teams, give or take a team here and there, but the quality of teams is just much stronger. Like that first year, like a two seed, a young two seed in Nova, a, a three seed Creighton. That was very, very volatile. You didn't know which Creighton team was going to show up. Providence was just new on the block. And then Xavier was just kind of happy to be there. And then the next year after that, you had, you had the six, the six teams, but like, you know, they were all kind of like middle of the pack, like eight, nine seeds and then a four or five seed. And then you had us as a one. And then we you know what happened with that. And then last year you had us as a one, Xavier as a two, Providence as an eight, and they were able to squeak out a win against the Power Five Conference team. Butler, you know, always able to make a run, and then Seton Hall choking like they always do. So the quality of teams is improving, and I think now we're actually going to – this year I think we'll actually have the balance of quality and quantity.
0: Do you think that this year is the Big East coming out party? If we can get some help from the
1: lower end, not lower end, but like you know, like Marquette and maybe even Seton Hall sneaking in, I think this could be the year that we finally make some noise in the tournament. Just everyone makes the noise in, in the tournament. I think maybe we can, maybe we can even have a Final Four matchup. <laughs> Just maybe. I. But now you you hear the injury to Watson with Creighton, so you don't know what's going on with that. Butler they looked vulnerable against Marquette, but. I mean, they, I don't know what they're going to do whenever they leave Hinkle, And Xavier might fall out of the top 25 as of next week. But I, I think those teams will write the ship. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down a lot to us, too, I think. I, I think if we can make some noise again, and then while these other teams are able to scrape out a few victories, I think people will finally admit the Big East is here to stay.
0: I think people are starting to take notice. I feel like there's more respect and there's more coverage or there's more people paying attention to what the Big East is doing. I mean, we have a successful top four. I think the top four of the conference is very good with Nova, Xavier, Creighton, and Butler. And then you also have Seton Hall, Marquette on the outside, who are also pretty good too. However, as we all know, all success is gauged by the NCAA tournament. Hopefully this will be the year where the Big East sends more than one team to the second weekend because we Mm -hmm. haven't really had any of that yet. It's always it's only been one and done.
1: Yeah, it's very unfortunate. It always seems that we, that the Big East kind of gets screwed with the matchups. Like Xavier last year as a two playing a seven seed in Wisconsin, and I, I don't know about you, but that that felt a little unfair at the time. And then us being a two when we should have been a, a a one or maybe even a two or two in a different bracket is just. I don't know. They always seem to test us, the committee, more so than that. I think
0: they really want us to prove it. Do you think that the new Big East can surpass the old Big East? And if so, how long do you think it would take for that to happen? It definitely could surpass the Big East, but
1: I think they're going to need a little bit more. I think they're going to need to expand a little bit, and I think they're going to have to get some big-time recruits because, I mean, when you were the old Big East, you had Ewing versus Mullen versus Pinckney, and, and, and then you had the coaches who were larger than life at the time. Like now it's like, you got Jay, you know, he's everyone knows who Jay is, but like you don't look, down the down the other at the other bench and recognize the other coaches right now i mean maybe like if you're i mean if you're a duke fan if you pay attention to acc basketball you'll obviously recognize wojo on marquette i guess you can recognize chris mack but you can't sometimes you can't tell if it's chris mack or kevin willard and, and it's just it's just uh, they all look the same and they look very generic and until i think one of these other teams besides villanova makes a run i don't think it's gonna it's gonna be a while maybe the top end schools re- uh, scored top end recruit and then maybe the tables start to turn, but it, it'll
0: be a while. I think we're starting to see the new Big East get there. I think we saw the great spirit of the Big East yesterday on Martin Luther King Day with the Big East Marathon. I mean, I know you were working, but we had some great competitive games from start to finish. You had an exciting comeback finish with Marquette Butler, top 25 clash with Craig and Xavier, battle of the bottom feeders with DePaul St. Johns, <laughs> a good classic battle between two Big East foes Providence and Georgetown. And then you had a rematch of the 2016 Biggies Tournament Championship game with Villanova and Seton Hall. And we've talked about it how Villanova doesn't do very well on MLK Day in recent years. But I did some digging. And mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Day was first observed in 1986. Now, since the holiday was first started up back then, the Wildcats had never won a game played on MLK Day. But that all changed last night. Nova got a huge 76-46 to 46 win over Seton Hall. They held the Pirates to shooting below 30% on the floor. You had five different Wildcats scoring double figures. Jenkins with 16, Brunson with 13, Hart with 11, and then Pascal and DiVincenzo with 10 each. We even got to see some bench mob. Everyone got a piece of the action. The students are back. The pavilion was popping. Very different game for Nova. And with that, the Wildcats have now extended their pavilion win streak to 47. And that is a new school record for the longest win streak at the pavilion. Is this better than Hinkle Magic?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, let's see if Butler can even pull off uh, 20 20 wins in a row in Hinkle. Come on. Let's see if they can even get half. But this is just nice to see a win on MLK Day. All the demons have been uh, expunged. And it was an absolute throttling of our, at least my bitterest rival. And I also kind of find it funny how the holiday started to be observed the year after they won the national championship. And we win a national championship again having not won an MLK Day that entire time, and then, and then the first MLK Day after winning the national championship, we we win. I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of find that cool.
0: I just find it cool just because my memories of Villanova playing on MLK Day have both been traumatic. I mean, you had <laughs> Douglas McDermott and Ethan Raggy my sophomore year, and then the year after that, they played against Georgetown, which we all thought was going to be a blowout. Well, it was a blowout, except Villanova's on the losing end of that blowout. So that right. was also traumatic. I think it was just great to see Villanova finally get that win. Man, because that was a long time yeah, coming.
1: It really was. This was long overdue. Just absolutely beating them down. I was actually rooting that we could hold them under 40 for this game. That would have been cool. And then we even saw Dylan Painter. He he actually had a nice move to the basket. I think he he did like some form of an up and under, but he wasn't able to convert. I was really rooting for him. And so was the student section too. That was was pretty cool at the end.
0: One thing though, Jay Wright did not take the foot off the pedal. And I get it. You know, you're trying to set a statement or you're trying to get your guys back in shape, not letting them be complacent after that showing on Saturday. But after Mm -hmm. I saw what happened to Mo Watson over at Creighton, I was sitting there thinking, all right, we're already up by 30, three minutes left in the game. Let let's take the starting lineup out. Let's 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 move let's let the other boys play. Let's let the other kids in.
1: Yeah, with like two and a half minutes left, you're up by thirty. I think Bridges should have probably been out of there. Even Pascal and Dante should have been out of there by then. Give more time to the bench mob. But I agree, like you saw what happened earlier today, and you can't help but think that. And you already got Phil's injury, so you are obviously already thinking it he another injury and this team is absolutely hosed. So it, I mean, I know Jay doesn't like Kevin Willard. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious and you kind of want to beat these guys to the best of your abilities, just to exact revenge for whatever they do to you between beating you in the base tournament or punching you, punching your captain when he's on the floor, defenseless, whatever it may be. So I I understand why he did it, but at the same time, I think your long-term interests away the current. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I was just sitting there thinking, like, all right, all right, another dead ball? Okay, let's take the guys out. Oh, they're still playing? Oh, great, fantastic. <laughs> oh, someone got yeah. fouled? Oh, maybe he's going to get subbed out now. Oh, no, never mind.
1: Yeah, didn't really make sense. But I, I do want to give a shout-out to Daryl Reynolds, because I just bashed him about, what, 10, 15 minutes ago during the, the recap of the St. John's game, but he absolutely played phenomenal against Seton Hall. And against a big man who used to give his former superior, Daniel Ojefu, some major trouble. He had nine boards last night and absolutely destroyed Angel Delgado, even putting some big putbacks on dunks, boxing out cleanly, didn't let Delgado get a double-double. Great performance, and I think it was by far his best performance of the year.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt. I think Jay told him to be more aggressive, or whatever he told him, but he was definitely more aggressive. He was getting after it on boards, even with a couple of nice putbacks, really. Great effort by Reynolds. I thought he really stepped it up. Great game last night.
1: Yeah, for sure. Hopefully he keeps it up, just like he did after that Providence game last year. I think that was the game that turned him around.
0: You know, they're actually playing Providence this weekend, and it's actually Villanova's next game. But since that's kind of a long time away, like four or five days, we're going to hold off from previewing it until Thursday. I'm going to be there. Nice. It's going to be a fun time. Get that first Wells Fargo game.
1: Yeah, and a day before the Packers' NFC Championship game, it's going to be very tough to focus. But I will be rooting on our cats in Philadelphia for the first time as a alumnus.
0: Have can... yet to make the pilgrimage yet. Hopefully one day.
1: Hopefully one day. Speaking speaking of your MSG experience, by the way, I, I heard – or you were telling me that they, they pulled some shenanigans – Something that involves the Jumbotron.
0: Oh, yes, those shenanigans. <laughs> so St. John's, this is possibly one of the greatest things I've ever seen at a basketball game, and I hope that they, they bring this back, or I hope that Villanova implements this some way. St. John's had a roast cam, and on this roast cam, the camera tried to scout out Villanova fans in the audience, and they would, they would focus on them, and you would see them on the Jumbotron, and then about maybe two seconds of having them on the screen, they would, they would flash in a caption. And the captions would range anything like, you know, you see the Nova fan get hyped or whatever, and then it'll say, has been a Villanova fan since April 4th, 2016. <laughs> Just bought this Villanova shirt on the way to the game. Or <laughs> their, their current favorite player is Ryan Archie Diacono. <laughs> Another good one I saw was, uh, what was it? Oh doesn't even know what city Villanova plays in. Like, just oh. like, just <laughs> roast And it was very clever. I thought it was pretty good. And I think it's something that more teams should implement.
1: Yeah, that's pretty funny. I wish we, I hope we can get on that. But I don't know if we really can. But oh, that, wait, that is hilarious. Good one,
0: actually, now that I remember it, uh, they, they, they showed this guy in a Villanova sweatshirt and they said, uh, the caption read, did not even put Villanova as winning the national championship on his bracket. The guy looked up, sees this, and he's like, yeah, you know what? I did it. And he just like shrugged and was like, yeah, yeah I did that.
1: <laughs> I like, oh, my God, that's That is freaking hilarious. Wow. That's like what the uh, – I think the Milwaukee Bucks did that to the Golden State Warriors, actually, because I think they had a lot of Golden State Warriors fans in the house at the time. I think it was the beginning of this year. And they did basically the same thing. Like, Warriors fans since 2014. And, you know, doesn't even know what college Steph Curry went to. It was just, like, was just like stupid funny stuff like that. That's so
0: funny. Yeah, no, I love I was, it when I was a fan. teams
1: actually are able to show some humor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It wasn't even Do mean, I'll say. It was just funny.
1: Right. Yeah. It's not, like, yeah, it's
0: not brutal humor or anything. Just- so we're going to hold off pre- previewing the Providence game this weekend. Until next time on Thursday. In the meantime, let's take a look at the women's team. Because, Chris, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it on wax. We doubted them. We, yeah, we doubted did. them. Pretty big. I had a feeling they were going to beat Seton Hall, which they did. They took care of the Pirates. They overcame that early 11-30 obscene tip-off last Friday. to do <laughs> so. And they, they won pretty handily. They won 69-52. Nova pretty much led from start to finish in that one. Kind of what we expected. We got big games from Alex Lewin and Adriana Hahn. Both scored over 20 points. And then you also had Kelly Jackett, who scored 17 points in her first career start, starting in place of the injured Jana Tucker. That's kind of what we saw happening. But then they yeah. played St. John's. And we know, we know St. John's is pretty tough. Yeah, they're good. But they also took care of St. John's. And they beat the Red Storm, pulled away at the end to win 55-50. to Alex Lewin had 19 points. Han had 13, and I know you've ragged on the Wildcats for not getting to the line, but they got to the line often, and they converted all of them, almost all of them.
1: Good. That's <laughs> how you win ball games when you're not shooting well, and especially in low-scoring contests like this, 55-50. That's how you get it done.
0: Yeah, it was a tale of two halves for Nova. They shot around 50% in the first half, but then in the second half they were shooting in the lower 20s. Somehow they were still able mm-hmm. to pull away, and they can thank the Charity Shark for that.
1: Yeah, that's nuts. Well, I just want to allude to something. You said Janet Tucker's hurt again. That That's kind of unfortunate because she's, she's always had injury trouble. She, that's kind of why she transferred here.
0: Yeah, she's had a bout of injuries over at Tennessee, and she comes here and she got hurt with a knee injury, I believe. I believe it's a knee injury, and so oh, she's been yeah. out with that. And you know, knee injuries are no fun.
1: No. Oh, boy. Pretty sure that's what she had at Tennessee,
0: too. That, that is unfortunate. So what do you think about this weekend's game? I mean, they, they, they proved us wrong. They proved me wrong. They proved you wrong. I mean, we both saw them winning that Seton Hall game. But that's yeah, it. They, they, they really gutted it out. That's That's a testament to them.
1: Yeah, I mean... Like you said, scene, the scene hall game went exactly according to the plan. I didn't expect anything much like uh, much different. I, I expected it to be a little bit closer than sixty-nine fifty-two, but it's nice to see them actually get a blowout win for once instead of being on the opposite end. And then I, I honestly have no idea how they pulled the St. John's game out. It create like in, in the way that they did anyway getting to the line, actually, you know, hitting their free throws on top of it, you know, and they hung around. The game was tied at 40 going into the fourth quarter. So it it was nice to see them, you know, hanging around because, as we've mentioned so many times, if you're just hanging around doing your job against a superior opponent, you might be – you will be able to squeak – one out, and I think this was the one. And now they've won four of their last five since a four-game losing streak, and now you got Penn coming up. I mean, it's very possible you can pull off another win here and you can start building some momentum. And then, I don't know, maybe you can snowball into something good here.
0: Yeah, you know, we we talked about how Villanova didn't start off the season very hot. I believe they started one and three. Then they started to even it up. And then once they did that, they got on a four-game losing streak. But now, like you said, they've won four out of the last five. Do you think this could be the start of that turnaround? You know, you had a lot of new moving pieces this year. You didn't have the core twins anymore, and they had been a long time staple. You got a lot of new players implementing them, getting some players into new spots, bigger roles. Do you think everyone's starting to get acclimated to where they are right now?
1: Yeah, I think everyone's, you know, kind of finding their niche now. I think everybody knows their role. I mean, I don't... I think they'll still be pretty hard-pressed to make the tournament, but maybe you can sneak in an NIT berth, and maybe you can make some noise in the Big East tournament. You don't know. But if you can show that you can hang with Saint, the St. Saint John's of the Big East, you can do some damage. I mean, it's, you're going to be going up against the Paul if you're going to have any shot of winning the Big East tournament down the road. And I know you got some critical games in between then. I know March is still a ways away, but it doesn't hurt to look forward to that. But, yeah, if you, if you keep this momentum up, I, I don't see why not they can't turn this thing around completely.
0: I think that this could be the start of something good. I do like what they're starting to put together now, starting to build off of these wins. And nothing builds more chemistry than a victory. Nothing brings the team together like winning. So I think we're starting to see that hopefully. We're starting to see that. I mean, next up for the Wildcats, they're going to take on Penn, their final game of Big Five play. What can we expect from the Quakers?
1: So Penn is 9-4 and four entering this game, and they got a six-game win streak coming along with it. Some of their key players, they're carried by a front court tandem of Michelle Wokady and Sidney Stepanovich. Nokidi is their top scorer, averaging just under a double-double, uh, 14.8 points per game, and Nine point nine rebounds per game. We'll bump her up to ten and say she is averaging a double double. But she is a poor free throw shooter, so you might want to play uh, Hacka Michelle if you want. Uh, she's shooting sixty seven percent from the line. And then Stodovich. She's a center. She's also uh, averaging just under a double double. Twelve and a half points, nine point seven boards. And this game will be at the Palestra, so a road test for the Cats.
0: Who you got in this one?
1: I'm gonna give this to Villanova. I I know. Penn's got the win streak coming in, but I mean Villanova's playing hot as well, so I'll give it to them. I I, I mean you're coming off a huge victory against St. John's. I, I just can't see can't see them having a letdown game against Penn.
0: Yeah, it's hard because this time around, I you know, I like to prefer to lean towards who has the momentum coming in, but you have Penn who has a respectable six game winning streak as opposed to Villanova's four to the last five. But I feel like just like you said tough game against St. John's, you pull out W like that, I think you can go into Philadelphia, inner city Philadelphia, and do the same thing at the Palestra. Mm -hmm. It won't be an easy game, but I feel like they can squeak it out. I agree. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to State of the Nova Nation, whether you do so on iTunes or on Podomatic. Also, please check us out at vubenchmob.com for all your news and updates on all things Villanova sports. Also, please follow us on the Twitter sphere at or you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRep5. And
1: you can follow me, Chris Danziel, at the Stance Man on Twitter.
0: Nova Nation, happy Tuesday. And always remember, we are number one again.